So if you want to just start and you're trying to get a million dollars, I think like dial up the intensity and figure out what can you accomplish in six months that would normally take like five years and be maniacal about hitting your daily and weekly and monthly targets and reverse engineer back from there. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Vermouth, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. No Kagan. Today's episode, I talked to my good buddy, Sam Parr. Welcome back to the show. Sam created the super popular newsletter, The Hustle, which emails over a million people a day. Four years later, he sold it for a bunch of money to HubSpot. And now he's the co-host of one of the most popular business podcasts, My First Million, where he talks with Sean Perry about business ideas, market trends, and interviews other entrepreneurs. You can search for My First Million podcast for us in the shows and check out Sam Parr on Twitter. That's at the Sam Parr, Parr with two R's. Sam has got the heart of a lion and the hustle of someone I'm really impressed with. Sam is super creative, super adventurous, and he always comes up with really fun ideas. If you've ever want to learn about building cool things fast with cool people, you're going to love this episode. In this conversation, here's three gigantic things you can take away. One, why successful businesses keep their staff small so they can grow big. Two, how Sam followed my formula, Wait, that's weird, and spreadsheets to build a multi-million dollar business. Damn, why didn't I get a cut? Three, why customer acquisition is nine out of 10 times the hardest part of building a company. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Also, the course that Sam used to grow and launch The Hustle is now 98% off. You can get the exact info, tactics, and strategies that Sam and thousands of other entrepreneurs have used to start your own business this year. What are you waiting for? We brought the price down to $10 to help as many entrepreneurs as possible. If you are curious to learn more, check it out at monthly1k.com. That is monthly1k.com. Quick update. Last week's episode, we included two sponsors in an experiment. I didn't like it, so we removed them. And we're promoting our own thing, Monthly1k, and other things that we've made. So the real story why is the products are good and I definitely recommend them. Just what they paid didn't seem worth it to interrupt your earlobes and I'd rather promote stuff from our own business. So that's why we've mentioned monthly1k.com. As well, thank you for reaching out on Instagram at Noah Kagan. A few of you let me know what you thought of the ads and I really appreciated hearing from you. Special pre-show shout out to listener Archicat. That's cool. They left a review saying incredible inspiration and how-to podcast. Love Noah style, aka DJ Can't Lose. I guess it's Rabbi Can't Lose. But anyways, they left it. He has great guests. Incredible lessons and fun stories. Never miss it. Damn, I love you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want to shout out in a future episode, holler at your boy. What does your team look like for My First Million? So it's pretty small. It's me and Sean. We're the hosts. And then we have a producer, Ben, and he's basically part-time. And then we have one other guy, Jonathan, who you know, and he works on a few different podcasts and he spends a little bit of time on ours doing growth. When you were just bootstrapping like your conferences, the hustle, it was really just you for a lot of it. My first year of business, I did about $550,000 in revenue, I believe. And it was just me. And I had a team of volunteers. And actually, if you Google like Sam Parr, HustleCon, Neville Medora, you'll see an article that Neville wrote about how I got volunteers to come and work at the event the day of. But basically, what I would do is I would get speakers, write content, promote the content, which would sell tickets. And I would do that for like eight weeks at a time take like three or four months off, do it again. And each time I would make like quarter million dollars or something like that. And that's how I did it. Yeah, it was just me. So Han, let's, let's go back to the beginning. We'll do, I think you have a lot of different great examples for people to learn from. So let's take this conference. So how did you go from idea to like quarter million dollars in this first event or 10, you know, even 10,000, but let's say quarter million. So I told you, this is the truth. I read your blog post. It's called, if you Google, okay, dork conference, $100,000. You wrote about it. You said, I made $100,000 hosting conferences. I read that when I was 22. And I was like, oh, this guy Noah and I are kind of similar. I'll do that thing. I did it. I just copied you. I used your exact same spreadsheets, by the way. I swear to God. I can even tell you what the blog was. You said, like, the food has to be memorable, like all this stuff. So anyway, I the, the first conference, I 
went and emailed 10 people and I said, hey, uh, you're the 10th person. All the other nine are going to come and speak. Are you in? In reality, none of them had said yes. But I kind of like pulled a fast one. Thank God they all said yes. You were actually, I think I invited you. I think you were I like, said no. You're the only one who said no. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you had to fly in. You were in Austin and all everyone else was San Francisco based. And I convinced these eight people or nine people, whatever it was, to come and speak. And then I go, boom, I'm in business. And then I went and contacted a venue. And I go, are you guys available if I rent this on this day? They said, yes. I go, when do I have to pay? They go, you have two weeks. I go, great, I'm in. Hurry up and went and got a sponsor for $10,000. Took that money, paid for the venue. Speakers are in. Immediately launched a website with my eight or nine speakers on it. And I started blogging. And I would write a story about each speaker. I would post it on Hacker News, get traffic. They would sign up and give me their email. Because I would say, like, you know, if you're interested in more content like this, sign up. I'm hosting an event, by the way. And then I would email the people who gave me their email saying, hey, please buy. By the way, here's another story on the speaker. I would post that story on Hacker News again, get more traffic, and just do this whole cycle. And in six weeks, I made, like, $65,000 on the first event. And I hadn't spent any money out of pocket. Because I made, I got the sponsor money, and I originally went and paid for the venue. That was my only cost at the time. And then I paid for food, and I got, like, net 15 on that as well. So... No money out of pocket. I got no royalty, to be clear. <laughs> I'm still not. You had a standing invitation to come and speak at this. The first event had 360 people. By the time we were done, like four years later, we were hosting like tens of thousands of attendees a year. So you had a standing invitation. You just didn't, you didn't take it. Do you think this is replicable today and by anyone? Dude, not only is it replicable, I tell people to do this all the time. So listen to this. <laughs> HustleCon turned into The Hustle, which was a newsletter... Like the year we sold, I think we would have done around 20 million in revenue. My competitor, uh, who I'm now great friends with, they're in the $75 million a year, year in revenue range. And they're going to probably, I think they can maybe do a hundred next year. Okay. So I think I, my business could have gotten to a hundred million in revenue. My partner, Sean, in the podcast, he was like, Hey, I need something to do. Maybe I'll do a newsletter. Will that still work? And this was 10 months ago. I go, yeah, dude, just copy exactly what the hustle did. I'll show you. He just sold it yesterday. The milk thing? The milk road. He sold it. He grew it to 250,000 subscribers in 10 months, and he just sold it for millions of dollars. And people say, is this replicable? And I always say, I go, not only is it replicable, like, like they say, like, what would you do now if you're starting over again? I go, literally the exact same thing. And Sean did it. And I could go do it right now. Literally the exact same thing. To the point where he even stole, he didn't steal. Like I told him, some of the ad copy is exactly the same. So not only is this replicable, like it's exactly replicable. Can you give us a little bit of that solopreneur playbook for what Sean did for Milk Road and what you did for the hustle for this, like maybe newsletter? For newsletters? Yeah, for the newsletters. Well, so conferences are quite easy because you only need one or two people working on it year round. And then you can hire day of work to actually like, you know what I mean? So I like businesses. So even there's a conference called Money 2020. Have you heard of Money 2020? So this guy has this conference that he sold for about $100 million after two years and they were doing like 40 million in sales, but the HQ team, like the team working on it around, I think it was only like 12 people. And then like you hire like tons of contractors leading up to it. So you can hire like an event production company. You can hire like an AV company to do all the video. And that's what we did. And so they were all contractors. And so we basically would, even though we would host 3000 people at one event, we only had one person working on it year round. And then we would hire people to help. You can run fairly big conferences with a small team. And then the newsletter is quite easy as well. The news, I look for businesses where it's a small team can impact a lot of people. Newsletters are way better than blogs. In order to make a blog 
quite popular or like CNN.com, BuzzFeed.com, make these like really popular, you need lots of writers to constantly create lots of articles because each article will only be seen by, for example, 10,000 people. So in order to reach 10 million people, you do that many articles. With a newsletter, one person subscribes and it's the same amount of work to service one person as, as it is 10 million people. You know, it's just one or two people writing 1500 words every single day and hitting send. It's the same amount of work. And so I look for businesses like that. And so at The Hustle, we for a long time, there was nine months where we had 1.5 million subscribers. We had one person write it. One person. And with Sean, I think it was just him and it was only 10 months old, but him and his partner, Ben, and probably a couple, and eventually they had freelancers. So you can hire writers to write these things for you and train them and you pay them a lot of money. But newsletters are a great business for like a really small team. And he was able to get traction from the podcast a little bit and from his presence? Yeah, from the podcast a little bit. But with newsletters, it's pretty repeatable. You know, AppSumo did this, like a combination of like giveaways, paid marketing, content marketing, referral campaigns, like share and we'll give you a t-shirt, those types of things. They add up to where like really quickly you can start adding a thousand to two thousand people a day to your list. It's just like repeated stuff that you can do over and over and over again. Like how old is AppSumo now? 12 plus years. I would bet that the stuff that you did in year one, you, you can kind of still do. You just do it every day. It's a lot of our marketing today is going back to reviving stuff we used to do. Yeah. So like, it's like super repeatable. And not only is it repeatable, like the same shit has worked for probably 25 years since the inception of like the internet and newsletters. Let's pick, you know, maybe the hustle or the conference business or even the podcast. Like what does generally your team of freelancers look like in cost? At the hustle, we actually, I was against freelancers early on. I hired full-time people and I'm still, I debate which one's the right thing. Our first year of business, I didn't have a lot of money. So I paid myself 20 grand a year and then I raised it to $40,000 a year. And at the time I paid my staff what I made between 40 and $60,000 a year. When we ended up selling, a really good writer could make uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They worked really hard and had to be really consistent, but we would pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, let's take you have a new project. I don't think you're going to say the name of it, but you have this new project. You got it to a million dollars plus just by yourself. Yeah, me and a, me and a partner. It was, it was him and I. We, we partnered on something. Um, but yeah, without a staff, we were able to get it to north of a million. And then why did you choose not to have a staff or why did you not need a staff? So I think a few things. When starting a business, I think intensity can be dialed to an 11 and most people are only operating at a three. And so I think that if you lock yourself in a room and you say for the next three weeks, I'm going to be, if you look at my calendar when I start things, I talk to customers in 15 minute increments, but like 15 of them or 20 of them a day. So from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., I'm just on the phone talking to potential customers, trying to figure out what interests them and then actually selling them. And I do that constantly. And so I usually try to see like, can I get to like some like pretty high ambitious number of like a million in sales in the first 30 days? And I like to do that just by talking to them on the phone. I figure out what works, what doesn't work. And then I'll eventually train someone how to do it. I think it's really important that you kind of figure out a little bit of how it works early on and then use that money to teach people how to do it and then eventually hire people that are significantly better than you at it and they'll do the work. How's your philosophy with this latest project that's already, you know, multiple millions of dollars without a staff? Like, how are you thinking about having it? We have a staff now. So I am hiring now. But the whole premise early on was I want to work on interesting stuff with interesting people and I'll figure out what the product is later. And so we were just like, figuring out what that could be, you know, how can we justify working with really cool people? And how can we attract them? And how can we pay them? What products can we sell to do that? I was inspired by 
Tim O'Reilly from O'Reilly Media, which we were talking about, he basically, I read an article where he said the same thing. He's like, our company motto is work on interesting stuff with interesting people. And it just so happens that we kind of fell into this book thing. And I think that's cool. So the motto early on with my new thing was, was that. And it was also, how do I hire people that I can pay a lot of money and hopefully they'll work with me for five or 10 years versus you were at Facebook. My wife was at Facebook. It's supposed to be one of the best places on earth to work. You know, the average tenure is like 12 months or like 18 months. It like, it's like horrible. You know what I mean? Like that means you get like 100% churn after two years. So anyway, I was trying to figure out how do I like justify getting someone to work with me for five or 10 years and having true camaraderie with them. So anyway, that's what we did with, with the new thing. When someone's starting a new business, do you think everyone should do the solopreneur way like you've been doing, which is like get it going, make the money, validate it, and then you start maybe thinking about hiring freelancers or full-time? If they're a nobody, and I still think of myself as a nobody, like even though I have a little bit of clout and a little bit of money, like I like to lock myself in a room and just pretend I'm a nobody, which I probably am, and just like get it done. But like you can like make a lot of money just by yourself with the phone. I think you should. I think most people should do that. I've done it multiple times. I've never raised money right out the gate or spent a lot of money on a business. I've never like, yeah, hustle kind of, I don't think, I think we started with a couple hundred dollars, the hustle, not a lot of money. Like I, so if you don't want to raise money, then yeah, I think you should. How much did you start AppSumo with? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. A domain name and some type of email software. Yeah, I spent, the domain was what, $8, 50 bucks to help build up the first page. Yeah, I think you totally could do it. And you also need to think about what your cash flow. I don't even know the right word, cash flow cycle. So like, for example, there's some things where it's like, man, let's convince people to pay a whole year up front versus monthly. And like, if you think about those things and you get your, I don't know, what's it called? Like your cash conversion cycle. Some like, there's some term, but figure out just how to get paid up front for certain stuff. And then you could use that cash to hire people. More people need to do that. Do you have systems or tools or ways you operate so you don't need to be hiring a lot of people early on? Yeah, for sure. Zapier and Airtable. Well, like, give me an example of how you're using that. Like, so in the recent project, like, how did you use these tools to run a business by yourself? I just try to automate. So the first person I actually hired in my latest business, we call his title is Automation Expert. And so he just uses Zapier and HubSpot and Airtable to automate everything. So for example, when someone joins, they get a welcome message from me. And I wrote it, but it's not actually coming from me. Or... Um, we use Zapier to send cold emails to people in order to prospect and get new customers. And it's just like all automated of like, there's someone overseas who just makes a list of 100 potential interesting people. We just go through and click yes or no. Once we click yes or no, it automatically goes to Zapier, which sends cold emails. And then if they reply, there's like all this, like, if this happens, then do this. Of like, if they said they're interested, send them this email and we'll schedule a time. So we like try to automate as much as possible um, using just those two tools. And I think they're mostly free. Zapier is like not expensive. Airtable, I think it's free. Well, taking one step back there is that what you can do now as a solopreneur, as like an individual, is like you basically can use software to automate hiring a bunch of other people. So you can hire a bunch of people to kind of do it. Or you can set up a few tools that basically you have an email marketer now or somebody who's sending emails. And then you have someone who's like, all right, now let's prospect. You have just like this kind of sales team and all these things that are just tools. Yeah. And I think that like they say like um, do things that don't scale. as like a phrase. I buy into that. I think you should do that. And I think like, don't automate things unless you have to. But then when you see that something can be automated, automate it as best as possible. And by the way, I'm like, not technical at all. You're way more technical than I am. And I don't even know if you consider yourself technical. I don't consider myself technical. I'm not at all. Like, I can't do anything. And even I know how to work these tools. And so like, what an ad. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, we use bubble. Have you heard of bubble? No, it's like an app, like a drag and drop app 
bill there. Okay. It's crazy. And we built like some pretty sophisticated tools on it. And it's just like drag and drop. And it's just like a freelancer who does it. And so anyway, there's just so many like no code tools that are pretty good. Like Webflow is pretty great. It's like pretty powerful. It's way more powerful probably than WordPress because WordPress is actually quite challenging to use. Webflow is kind of challenging to use too. But uh, yeah, I just I purposely use tools that an idiot can use. What do you think the future of Solopreneur looks like? There's this company called A-Team. Have you, have you heard of A-Team? I think their URL is a.team. And they have this really interesting tagline. But their whole premise is they get freelancers who have worked together on projects. And they call themselves, like, it's like a bunch of different freelancers. And they're like, all right, assemble your team for this three-month sprint. And they're like, you don't need them anymore. And I think that there's a world where that's going to happen for different companies. So it's like, hey, I got this new project. I'm going to spend this amount of money building it and I'm going to hire like these three people just to hurry up, build it. And then you guys are out of, you guys are out of it. I don't need you anymore. Thank you. And they can move on to a different project. And I think that could potentially is going to happen. So I think that there's definitely worlds where there's going to be a one or two person company that can do five, 10, 20 million in revenue using that method. I also think with um, Twitter, I know a bunch of people, uh, you probably know them too, who are doing two, three, four million in revenue with just them and assistant by selling information on like Gumroad and using Twitter to get popular. That's incredibly common. I could name five people doing north of 2 million in revenue already on that. So that's really interesting. So basically like the, the face of the company, their job is to build an audience and then create something once that they can sell twice, you know, build one, sell twice. And then all they do is just constantly like create content to promote it. And a lot of people don't like that model because they're like, oh, you're just selling information. I think it's cool. So I think that that's going to be far more common. And I think that people are shocked. Like making $2 million a year is a ton of money. That's like what a banker makes. And they're working like $100 a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's going to be like way more common. There's also Peter Levels. I find him quite fascinating. I bet you his whole empire is doing like $4 million in sales. And he just builds really simple drag and drop websites. He, they're a little more complex than that sometimes, but fairly simple. I think it could be quite common. And But the main thing is you have to spend your time building an audience. The main person needs to be building an audience because customer acquisition is nine out of 10 times the hardest part of a company, not the product, which is something that like you have to like have founded a company typically to like have that insight. You know, second time founders are typically like, well, I don't care about the product. How are you going to get customers? And that's like a big thing. So if you can figure out how to like create content to build an audience and get customers, you're golden. So for you now with this, you know, being more or less, let's say solopreneur was you were getting going in this latest project. Like what does a typical day look like? I usually go to bed at 10 or 11 and I get up at seven. I call my partner around eight or nine and I just say, all right, what do you want to do today? We have like a rule where we have no meetings that are scheduled other than one. So we have like one thing with the other people who work at our company where we like do like a catch up once a week besides that no one-on-ones are like allowed to be scheduled so if someone has an issue or they just want to like shoot the shit or they just want to talk about whatever just do text me and call me and i'll we, let's talk or say like hey you want to talk in 30 minutes yes we'll do that but we don't allow i don't so my schedule looks pretty clear and empty so i get up talk to them around 9 or 10 i like to actually like do work which is typically researching or writing between like 10 and 3 and then I'll like take a break and walk around and just like usually call someone and just like complain to them about something and like brainstorm about something. And then I like to do like more deep thinking, quiet work from like 7 p.m. to like 10 p.m. How do you think about being a solopreneur when you were doing like the conferences and hustle when you're getting these going, which became, you know, seven figure companies? 
Versus it sounds like recently you're, you're bringing partners into the podcast or partners in for this new project. Because it's lonely doing things by yourself. It's quite lonely and it's way less fun. And so I've noticed that the more fun I have, the more money I make. And starting things by yourself, I think I'm very good at it. And I do do that. And then I typically like to bring someone in the fold right away because I find it to be very lonely. And I don't think that succeeding alone, I think it's just boring. I don't think it's exciting. I don't know. Was it exciting for you? It was an interesting experience because when I started it, my previous company was so toxic for me. And I'm sure I was a part of the toxicity that I was like, I'm doing it alone. I don't want any partners. I don't want anyone involved. And so when I started AppSumo, it was very intentional that way. And then Chad came on about nine months later. And he's probably the right partner though. Oh, he's a great, great balance to me. Cause like I can definitely be like erratic and like he can be, he's definitely much more calm around things. But what's fascinating about it for me was like maybe about five years ago, we were having a fallout. We were having some fallout. And I was like, dude, I don't need any of these fucking people. I'm the best. Yes. <laughs> and then like maybe about three months later, I was like, yo, my bad, Chad. I definitely need you. And uh, it, totally. it's enjoyable because like there are a lot of times, like even, even yesterday, there's a financial thing going on in the company and like I can make a decision. But I go to Chad, my partner, and then I go, you know, Eamon is our advisor. And I go, I'm like, here's what's going on. And they're like, oh, yeah, do that. And I was like, ah, that was just nice. It's nice yeah. to have that support to not have all the weight to make some of these decisions. Well, I think the takeaway is bad partners are bad and the right partners are like heavenly. Yeah. Right? Like it's just like a relationship. Like a bad girlfriend will ruin your life. Yeah. I remember I had a bad dog one time that would like bite people. And I'm like, this ruins my life. This is the worst. And then you get like a good partner. And you're like, oh, this really is one plus one equals three type of thing. Yeah. And so it's about having the right partner, I think. I think as a solopreneur, I have heard this theme of I'm lonely or, and so forth. And so I do think it's important to like, how are you building a tribe of people to be able to call on when you have a question or like post? Like I have groups I can text you or others where I'm like, hey, I'm looking for an accountant or hey, what happened in the situation? And it's nice to have that support, whether you're in a team or you're a solopreneur. Yeah. And I think that there's a big, big industry or a big um, community of like solo founders. So like, I'm in a group now where it's like eight of us and I just message them. I'm like, I'm freaking out about this. I'm really bummed about this. Or a customer just criticized me. Are they right? And then it's like a com team camaraderie thing because starting a company, it is very lonely. Even if you have employees, it's very lonely. And you're like, you basically feel bad about yourself 80% of the time. So it's nice having like a crew of people who like build you up and like it's basically group therapy. Well, I guess two parts is like, it does seem like a lot, some of your success you're able to build a network or find other founders. So like, what can someone do who's just getting going as a solopreneur to do that? So cold emailing is the way to go. And I did a blog recently, or I did a TikTok video talking about how like starting newsletters and blogs are amazing. And all the young kids made fun of me. They're like, what are you, a boomer? They're like, who reads blogs? I'm like, whatever, think what you want. But like results are results. Same thing with cold emailing. People laugh at me. I'm like, dude, cold email or cold DM people on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, it works. And so typically the strategy that I find works best is if you email someone and you don't, sometimes you could have a specific access that says like, just give me a couple minutes of your time. I ignore all those. But what really works well is you say, hey, you inspired me. I'm building this thing. Here's my results so far. Next month, I'm going to email you my trailing 30 days and results. And then they do that. And you're like, oh, wow, this person's going some places. This is kind of interesting. Sometimes I'll talk to them, sometimes I won't. Month three, they do it again. And I'm like, all right, this person's a baller. I got to like attach myself to this person. They're going someplace. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Chris Rock said, like, if you see someone on the side of the road, just holding out their thumb, you're probably ignore them. But if you see them pushing their own car, you'll be like, all right, I'll get out and help you. Mm. That's kind of like the feeling. And so I think that's a really effective way to find interesting people and you just cold email them updates on a regular basis about your progress. 
And then you flatter them and say, by the way, part of the reason I'm doing this is because of what you said or did. And then you see it like, okay, I see myself in you. This is interesting. I want to help you. So I think that's really helpful. So in order to build a network, cold email people or cold DM. But I think cold email is still quite effective. Yeah, both. I love that. The highlight there that you said is just like flat, like in terms of the structure, it's like flatter them or compliment them about how they did something for you. Tell them that you're going to do something and then follow up with it. And then follow up with it. The follow up, no one does. No one does. No one does. But it works. So I followed up with this guy named Tim Westergen. You know who Tim is? Yeah, Pandora. Pandora. I swear to God, I emailed him 40 times. And then I finally got a reply in like the 40s. And then like me and my wife, I'm going to go out to dinner with him now. Like he's my friend. So this guy started Pandora. It's like a multi-billion dollar company. It took me 40 emails to get his attention. And finally it worked. And I just would email him updates. I did the same thing with Kevin Ryan. Do you know who Kevin Ryan is? So Kevin Ryan's amazing. He was the CEO of uh, DoubleClick, which became Google AdWords, like the best acquisition of all time. And then he started Guilt. You know Guilt? Like yeah. the women's thing. And then he started MongoDB, which is did you really? yeah, a multi-billion dollar publicly traded database company. Started Business Insider, which is a big thing. Started Zola, which is like the wedding registry business. Yeah. Does hundreds of millions. Of, he did, he's, he's amazing. He started like six other things that are like well known. And I emailed him every week or every month for months saying what you did at Business Insider was cool. I read that when you were month in month three, this was your results. Our results for month three are this. I'll talk to you next month. All right, Kevin, it's month four. Here's what's going on. I did that constantly. Finally, he answered and he goes, if you're in New York on Monday, I've got 30 minutes available and you come to my office. And I flew to New York and I went to his office and met with him. And it was like the greatest 30 minutes of my life. Wait, how was the 30 minutes? What did you guys do? He just explained. He's like, here's what my net worth was at this time. I did this. I grew to this. And with that money, I did this. I think if I was in your position, I would do this, 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 and this. And I have a feeling that someone's going to buy your company in the next three years for around this much money. And all of it happened. Two of the things that you said I thought stand up for people that are solopreneurs. One, build an audience. So if you're a solopreneur and you have no ideas and you got nothing, at least start building up an audience of people who you can interact with. And then when you have an idea, you can go to them. So that sounds like one thing that, that you've done really well. So now when you're launching like this new project or when you launch other things, you have the audience. And then the second thing is though, second thing is your network. Like how can you get access to people for later and start building that relationship today? So check this out. I've got a friend named Val. Val is a Russian uh, I guess at the time, Soviet Union Jewish immigrant who lives in New York. Okay. He came here when he was probably 12 or something. He, at, at the age of 19, started a ringtone website, meaning like you can buy ringtones. Yeah, I remember this. In year one, he was the only employee at 19, maybe he was 20. He did 10 million in profit in year one. He did the exact same thing again and said, but instead of ringtones, I think he did, um, I forget what he, he did next, but it was the same thing. He did something like, Five million in profit in the first 10 months. And it was just him. And I was like, Val, what were you doing? And he was like, dude, I was cold emailing everyone. And I was on the phone talking to these people. And I told them like, hey, this is the business that I'm doing. Are you interested? And they would just show a little bit of interest. And then I would just pounce. So I would just like deliver the product already. And I would just would go above and beyond consistently. And I just worked like a madman doing this stuff. And people would eventually bought in and started doing business with me. And it worked out really well. And so now he owns... um a mobile ad network that does north of a, I believe north of a hundred million in revenue. And then he owns a jewelry company that's, that's doing, um, in that same ballpark. Well, coming back to the solopreneur stuff around this is that it's so interesting now that you can hire freelancers on all these different sites, Fiverr, Upwork, Freelancer, through Twitter, as well as the amount of tools that are no code or free to use. Like you really don't need to be hiring. And YouTube to learn how to use all of them. Yeah. Like the fact that you can piece all this together and then use Twitter to build up an audience and network for free. It's crazy. It's crazy. And yeah, it so, almost seems silly to have. 
employees. And if you're in like a cheaper city, it's like, man, you don't really ever need to raise money. Now, I understand why some people would raise money because it's like, well, it's working. Just go way harder and way faster. But you can create a shit ton of value really fast. When you were still up in your conferences, the hustle, even this new thing, like, how did you enjoy your money? Any ways you spent it as you started making all this money really quick? Well, I still felt poor. So I had money in the bank account, but I was paying myself two grand a month. I didn't feel like I had a lot until I was probably 30. And I started doing this at 24. I used the credit card points to travel. And when I traveled, I would typically fly economy plus or business class, but those were credit card points. And so for the first like six years of the business, I didn't, maybe four years of business, I didn't buy a single flight. It was all using credit card points that was on the software. When I sold the company, I bought a $100,000 car. And then I took a trip that probably cost 10 grand to Hawaii. And that was basically the first big splurge that I'd ever had. And I had roommates the whole time too. I didn't really buy anything. How did that splurge to Hawaii feel? Hawaii was awesome. The car was kind of awesome. But then I was like, I should just sell this. I don't like owning this thing. I got to worry about it. So the trip is cool. And so I like doing that. And so I still spend on trips and experiences. Some of the stuff freaked me out. I don't like buying the stuff. Like the assets, not assets. They're not assets. They definitely are liabilities because I think about them all the time and I like freak out. My car right now is getting a new bumper because someone backed into it and I'm like flipping out over like, how am I going to take care of this thing? I'm going to go, I'm going to be gone for the next month. Do I got to like keep it on a charger? I don't know what to do. Yeah. So, uh, well, like if you leave a car for like, Oh, the battery charger. Yeah. Yeah, So what I'm doing now, so I'm thinking about moving and what we're going to do, I'm renting a place and I'm going to rent all my furniture. I found a service that I can rent all my furniture. It's like an additional 500 or a thousand a month. I'm just going to rent all my furniture and I don't want to own any of the stuff. And I'm definitely doing that. I think that will make me way happier. So how did I enjoy money early on? It didn't feel like I had money. I always had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the business bank account, but I never viewed that as Sam Parr's money. I only paid myself, I think, two grand a month. What advice do you have for someone who's just getting started to be an entrepreneur and they want to make a million dollars? Set like a pretty hard goal. I typically like to have like a one-year goal and then like a six-month goal and then like a quarter goal and then a month goal and then a week one. And just be maniacal about doing it. And I think that like, I think it's Peter Thiel who had this like crazy thing. He was like, what's your five-year plan and how can you accomplish it in six months? And I firmly believe that like you can actually do that. So if you want to just start and you're trying to get a million dollars, I think like dial up the intensity and figure out what can you accomplish in six months that would normally take like five years and be maniacal about hitting your daily and weekly and monthly targets and reverse engineer back from there. What businesses, ideas or categories do you think are, are promising around that? blogs, newsletter, content-based stuff. I think it's great. Someone made fun of me because this is what I said. I go, just go and learn a topic and be like two or three weeks ahead of your users and just write about what you're learning and become like a quote expert on it and just aggregate information out there and send it to people and monetize through advertising or through something like that. It's a very sellable asset. I think that to make a certain amount of money, you can basically do it through like cash flow. Or you could do it through selling a thing. In my case, my goal was to make $20 million by the age of 30. I was 24 when I started that goal. I could have done it through cash flow. I lived in California at the time. I was like, oh man, I don't think I can do this like through cash flow. Therefore, I was like, all right, I have to sell an asset for this much money. And so the multiple, if I got to 10 million in revenue, I'd have to sell it for three times that. I think a content business can do it. And I like just reverse engineered back from that. So I think content businesses can sell for a good amount of money and they sell all the time. So I think that's a good business.
Well, I think the there's two separate areas. One, I think the great answer is just like dial up from three to eleven. I think I was trying to understand like what's interesting Sam Parr and everyone who's aspiring. There's many differences, but I think the core difference from the beginning, whether you don't have a network, whether you don't have a lot of experience or understanding tech, is that you just went and did it and you went hard on it. And I think a lot of people are like dabbling. They put the toe in. Sam fucking cannonballed into the. You ocean. go all in. Like for example. I would have friends that would be like, hey, you're working for yourself. Come hang out with us. Come get a drink at one o'clock on a Thursday. I'm like, dog, I'm working. Like, it's work hours. This is a, and they're like, all right, we'll come get dinner tonight. I'm like, dude, it's a school night. I got to go to bed so I can be up at seven to like get it done. And so like treat it like a job, not a game, not like a hobby. And I think that's like a pretty big thing. I actually think you could succeed just on 40 hours a week, but it's like treat it like a 40 hour a week job. Even if it's like you're, you have a main job from nine to five well, dog, this is my six to midnight. I can't go and hang out today. I got my job. I got to work. So I think if you treat it as such, you will you can get kind of far. Yeah, I think the, the phrase that I've always tried to, I've thought about is like, if you treat it like a hobby, you're going to get the results of a hobby. If you treat exactly. it like a pro, you'll get professional results. And so, totally. And I think some people are surprised when they don't get professional results behaving like an amateur. It's really hard to succeed like working like two hours over the weekend. And that's fine. It's just you can't have the expectations of it. You know, going to a lot of your different things, like how have you thought about this like Silicon Valley super growth where it's like funding, hire a bunch of people versus like the kind of solopreneur growth made? Like what about the pros and cons of you? Well, a lot of the game changing companies that like impact our lives, like an Uber, which I call all the time or an Airbnb, like you need funding to do that. And the founders who run those companies, they are built a certain way where I bet you that they're like kind of unhappy, but at the same time, they like they probably have, like, we all have deficiencies. Like, they have some type of deficiency where they're like, I have to experience this pain because I have a chip on my shoulder, whatever. And I'm so thankful they exist because I like using the product. So I think funding for some of these really big ideas exists. I'm not that guy. I'm a different type of person. I don't want that type of pain. I prefer having a, a fun life. And so I think that you can build meaningful wealth, like in the hundreds of millions of dollars, in some cases, even billions of dollars by doing this like relatively slow growth, like grow 30 or 50% every single year, doing it outside of Silicon Valley, outside of a big, expensive city. I think it's incredibly possible. So I'm not one of those guys that's like dogmatic, that it's one way or the other. I think certain things require certain tools, but I don't think that means that every problem requires the same tool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have a goal about how you're thinking about these things, about how you approach different businesses now? Do you have like an end like net worth goal that's driving you to like build more stuff? Or is it like, hey, I just want to keep doing things I'm enjoying? I have an, a net worth goal for like every five years, but I don't necessarily care about the goal. It's more so like um, like when you lift weights or like when you go, you like to ride your bike. It's like, I want to do a hundred mile race at this time. If I don't hit that, that's fine. As long as I like worked really hard to get it, although I'm going to work my ass off to get it and I'll be pretty bummed if I don't, but like my life's not over. And if I do hit it, oh, that's neat. But it was just about like doing it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It really is the doing. So in terms of AppSumo and you're asking about like hyper growth for solopreneur growth, I think you just find the things you're excited about that you can sustain that excitement for a very long period of time. Exactly. So I have, my goal is to have at least a hundred million dollars liquid by the age of 40 in 10 years. Now, if I hit it, will I, will anything change? No. If I don't hit it, will anything change? Probably not. But like, it's just this exciting thing to like want to achieve. It's probably pretty meaningless, but it, it's a cool goal that I just made up and I want to hit. Well, I think for anyone who's a solopreneur out there, a key thing is just have something to work towards. You know, I met someone yesterday who's a design solopreneur and he's like, 
I just wanted to be able to like make this amount of money and then be able to work the kind of life I want. So like, even if it's making, even if it's like have a day job and make a thousand bucks a month and that's your goal, like that's a great goal. Just pick the thing you can work towards. I made a random goal was like, I was like, I, I want to be able to fly private with my family and be able to spend time with them. And I think maybe a hundred million dollars is what's needed to do that. I just made it up. Someone yeah. told me that that's, that that's what they thought it needed to do that. And I said, sick, I'm into that. I'll try that. Who are solopreneurs you admire? Peter Levels. I think he's amazing. I think he's really fascinating. There's this guy named Justin Welsh that I just discovered on Twitter. Have you seen him? Yeah. Very fascinating. Previously, I think he worked at a startup where he was like a software guy. Uh, but anyway, he's like created this really interesting like content business that I find fascinating that he claims is doing like in the range of one and a half to two million in sales. I find that fascinating. Uh, you know, Sophia Amoruso? Yeah. So she previously started Nasty Gal, which is like a clothing company that got to a hundred million in sales and like probably hundreds of employees. Now she has a new thing where it's basically just her and some part-time help. What is it? It's called business class. So it's, she's got this like really cool community for people building companies. I find that to be fascinating. And she previously had this huge thing and now she's doing this other thing. And I thought that's like, that's a really cool dichotomy. So I think she's fascinating. I've become really good friends with her. Who else is interesting, do you think? Uh, in terms of the solopreneur stuff, I think I was just, just finding it fascinating. Like if you take, I guess I was trying to look at it from like a, a viewpoint of like, we admire like the Warren Buffetts of the world who are like billionaires that like eat at McDonald's. And I think there's this new trend of people who are like, like Tim Ferriss actually was one of the original solopreneurs. Dude, he kills it. Now I think he has a few people team, but back in the day for a very long time, it was like him and his assistant and freelancers. And I think the solopreneur meth model is kind of similar to Buffett in the sense of, I think people are admiring like, you didn't have to raise a lot of money. You don't have to feed all these people full time. And you're able to, to have a really, you know, significant impact or sizable impact. Dude, Tim's probably stupid rich. I bet you Tim is like $200 million wealthy. Something like that, I would imagine. And he did it his way by himself or with a small team. And that's what I admire. I think what we admire is people who do it their way, the way they want to do it and they have a good time doing it. And I think I, I admire him a lot for doing it that way. So Tim was one of the original guys. Who else is doing it? That's interesting. Andrew Wilkinson fascinates me. He has a team, but he, the way that he set it up where he's able to like jump around from project to project, he's got a pretty big empire as well. Yeah. I think Tim is honestly like the originator of, I remember when he was doing his book, it was like him, his assistant, and then he would hire like Charlie for a project and he'd hire this for the project. And then now I think he has like a few people, but it was just impressive to realize that maybe the, the impressive part is that there's other ways of running a business. I bet you Tim's podcast, this, I'm just guessing, I don't have any information. I bet you it does at least a million a month in revenue. And I bet you there's only one or two people working on it. I would agree with that. It's pretty phenomenal. I bet you it's a huge business and it's just him. And I bet you when he writes his book, I bet you he locks himself in a room and then I, he probably has an editor at whoever his publisher is. And that's probably it, I would bet. And maybe some part-time research help. So I think like the, the big takeaway on the solopreneur thing is just like there's new ways of doing these things nowadays. You can use like YouTube to learn it, Twitter to build the audience, and then no code or free tools from AppSumo or just from other uh, AppSumo or other sites to be able to build all this without having to build a big team nowadays. You it's just really need focus though. Focus is like the, I think the really the big issue with a lot of people. You got to be able to focus for like years, like 40 hours a week at least for like four or five years. And I think then it starts paying off big time. Yeah. And I think it's finding the areas that you're just curious about. I think where people get mistaken is they're like, I see Sam and he's doing a newsletter. I'm going to do a newsletter about crypto. And it's like, do you like crypto? Do you want to do crypto? And you can, and you can grind through it, but why not find like gardening or whatever kind of topic you're like specifically interested in? Have you heard of Ikigai? I've heard of it. I don't remember. Dude, I'm, I'm obsessed with this. It's basically like, it's a Japanese concept. It's like, 
what the world wants, what the world is willing to pay for, what you're good at, and what you love doing. And the goal of life is to find something perfectly in the middle. And that's like a huge thing that a lot people don't spend enough time doing. They like come up with this idea. It's like, bro, do you even like doing that? It's like, you're not going to be able to do that for five years. Yeah. So Ikigai, that's like a thing I, I try to do. We'll end it with that. That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as we did making for you. Check out the My First Million podcast as well as go sign up for Sam's Twitter. That's at the Sam Parr with two R's. If you want to start your very own newsletter just like Sam did, you can use sendfox.com. Uh, that's what I use. We built it. It's free to use. Also, check out my monthly 1K course. That's monthly1k.com if you've always wanted to start or grow your own online business. As well, if you want to find support and community and getting a business going, sometimes it's lonely out there. Monthly1k.com. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's take a cooking class together. Oh, I love Thai cooking classes. They're so good. Before you go, tweet, Instagram, DM, TikTok, whatever, at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you thought of the episode. I love hearing from you. Also, remember to subscribe to my newsletter. That is at okdork.com. I put best tips into a single short email each and every week. That's okdork.com. Finally, shout out to the amazing team that helps make all this happen. Jason at podcasttech.com. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout out to the AppSumo email team. If you're not on the AppSumo email, go to appsumo.com and sign up. The email is just fire. I'm really impressed. They do these Monday drops. They have funny emails. If you're interested in just learning about marketing or checking out the latest online software tools at great prices, uh, AppSumo.com. Thank you to Chris, Jessica, Lona, and all the other people that help make the AppSumo emails possible. Have a stupendous day. What's your favorite tea? <laughs> <laughs>